What up, what up? This is your boy Carl Cherry. I'm here sitting with Frank Clark and John Tanners. We are the Rap Pack. We're still recording remotely. Um, our first, well, we had Big Sean last week. Our first episode was with the baby. We also spoke to Russ recently, but we have today someone joining us. Our first music industry insider, Andrew Barber. Andrew, what's up, man? Hello, hello. What an honor and a pleasure, man. I can't believe I get to follow up those people. That's crazy. Thank you for having me. Welcome to the show. Yeah, I appreciate it. You know, I know my clout's not on that level, but, you know, it's, it's, oh. nice, to, it's nice to join the Rat Pack, man. You know, yeah, I would, I would the say show. You're, you're, you know, you're part of the uh, the blog Hall of Fame and beyond that. You've done, you know, you've got your stripes. So I think that, uh, I think that your clout is is up with the right people. Hey, man, it's an honor and a pleasure to be here with you guys. You guys are the show is dope. And, it, you know, I love the convo. So I'm happy to be able to, you know. Talk shop with you guys. All right. Uh, John just hit me with a bounce pass there with his uh, blog <laughs> Hall of Fame uh, reference. Uh, but obviously we know you, right? You're, you're synonymous with Big Shore Drive, but you wear many hats. Just for the listeners who aren't familiar with you, can you explain your contribution, how you made your mark in music and what you do now? Yeah, so um, I came in... As a blog, I started a blog in 2007. So I um, started Fake Shore Drive and at the end of 2007, just to cover what was happening in Chicago, uh, hip hop. Because at the time in Chicago, there was like a flourishing underground local scene, but nobody was covering it. It was like, if you weren't Common, Common, Common Kanye, Lupe, or Twista, you were getting no national coverage. And it was crazy to me because this is when like the cool kids are bubbling and kids in the hall and Mike Terror and Kid Sister, there's all these different, you know, Mano and Hollywood Holt, all these different acts that were that were selling out shows in Chicago. You know, they'd have lines down the street for their for their events, and then like the big names would come in from out of town, and like the venue would be half full. So I couldn't figure out why Chicago was the third largest market in the United States, and nobody was covering what was happening there on the hip hop side. So I just started writing about what was happening, and um, you know, as the years progressed, it, it continued to grow and get bigger, and you know, there was a there's been a lot of artists that have kind of come through the pipeline, whether it be Chance the Rapper, Chief Keef, and and there's a number of artists that, you know, we've we've kind of helped uh, shed light on to the world early on. And um, I've also done a number of things. It's like now, if you work in the music business, you know, blogs have kind of, the roles of blogs have changed. So I just had to, you know, I noticed that those weren't going to last forever. So I started doing artist management, um, app, playlisting on Apple Music, you know, uh, my guy Carl brought me in with that, uh, doing a new Chicago playlist some years ago. Um, we have a show on Shade 45 every Sunday night where we play nothing but Midwest music for two hours. And, you know, it's like I do consulting, work with labels, work with brands. You know, I got like 20 jobs for one salary, basically. So, um, you know, happy to still be in the game all these years later. Nice, so. nice, nice. All right. So this should be fun, right? Um, so what I want to do is I want to start by covering... Uh, more recent topics and then go down memory lane. There's some more to talk about with the blog era. And there's a few milestones that are happening in 2020 that I want to discuss. But uh, first of all, busy week in music. Uh, last night, the baby came out. Well, today, technically, last night right. on the West Coast, right? The baby came out, Playboy Cardi, totally uh, profiling here and assuming that Trent hated it. I can't wait to get to that particular topic. But let's start with the baby. The baby just came out with his. Third album in 13 months. 
uh, titled Blame It On Baby. I see you shaking your head already, uh, Andrew. But it features Roddy Rich, Quavo, Future, NBA Youngboy, A Boogie With The Hoodie. Uh, should we, gentlemen, should we pat ourselves on the back a little bit for uh, the NBA Youngboy feature? Did, did we put help with that in the atmosphere a little bit with the, first, uh, the baby interview? I'm not taking credit for that crap. <laughs> are you, are hey, you asking? Hey, 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 don't jump ahead. We, we'll get there. I, we already know your stance. But uh, Megan Thee Stallion is already also on the album. Ashanti. Uh, it, it's it's full, you know, full, fully packed with guest appearances. So we'll start with Trent since he can't wait to tell us what he thinks about it. What was your first listening impression of the babies? Blame it on baby. I wanted to know if it was a leak. You know, I actually checked to make sure I was actually listening to an actual stream because it just sounded so incomplete. You know, like that 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 NBA Young Boy song. That beat sounded like a sonogram. You know, it was just like do 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 do. It was like, is that what a sonogram actually sounds like? Yeah, when when you uh, I can confirm that is kind of what a sonogram sounds like. Boom. No kids. Um, <laughs> uh, what was I talking about? Yeah, I mean, no that's how one, forgettable no one really it is. knows. That's that, the that's problem. How, no, that, but that's how forgettable the album was. You know, like it had a lot of guest appearances. It had Ashanti uh, singing a 20-year-old hook. Um, yeah, like, I mean, the baby doesn't have any subject matter. And like, even on the uh, album cover, he kind of had the mask on. Um, like indicating that, you know, this is kind of like quarantine music, um, which actually even made it even worse. You know, like he's, um, this is the third album in a row that he's made that is just really a loose collection of songs. And, but th this one is, this is the first one that I would actually say is bad. All right. So you said it's incomplete. What, what does he need to add to make it a complete album? Subject matter, you know, like, uh actually and, he, and he's very you know like i mean he's a he's a metaphorical rapper you know he's a punchline guy but at the same time you know for what i know about him the the, pers the person you know he's he's pretty inconsistent you know one minute you know he don't you know he'll get on the breakfast club and say like you know he don't be on no girls enough and then on the track you know he talks about how, how much of a mac he is you know like well, no but, but, but you know that's performance though, right? Like obviously yeah, guys but, keep you don't you don't reflect <clears throat> reality literally when it comes to women. You, you still true, have true. but I I've I've never had that issue with Quavo. You know, I've never I've never been curious of what, what Quavo's stance is on uh you know maneuvering through these uh streets on tour, you know, like I, I'm I'm saying there's there's a just a, a lot of glaring. Is he dry snitching? <laughs> Quavo is in a relationship, reportedly. Damn. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, but they be together now. But I'm, I'm just saying, like, there's just a lot of glaring holes uh, in in the in the music. You know, there's just no message to it. You know, every rapper is shining right now. Every rapper's flossing. Every rapper's, you know, the the Don Dada. And you know, we need something. We need something else. And then, like, I'm not really. How do you guys feel about, you know, I'll bounce this back to y'all. How do you guys feel about that flow argument? I'm not really. Um, I, personally, I don't agree with it. And yeah, I'm not I don't like, either. I just think it's one of those things that like, you know, people complained for years and years about mumble rap or the way that certain artists did, you know, were unintelligible. Their flows weren't great in the kind of like classically styled schools of great flows. I think the baby is much more in line with like some of the 
you know, rappers that we've talked about with him from generations past who rapped in a, a, a more recognizable form as like skilled technical rapping. Like, I think if you have a problem with the baby, you also have a problem with Guru. You might not necessarily be listening to the baby and also listening to Guru, but it's kind of the same argument, right? You could say like he never switched the flow up on any Gangstar album after maybe like the first. You knew what you were so, getting when you got Guru. You knew what you were True. getting. So I think like to me, it's sort of it, it's. I think people are fine. Like, like if you want to, you know, criticize the beats, if you want to criticize the speed with which the album was put together, I mean, I think that there is an argument to be had here. That's like he, the, the subject matter hasn't really shifted from the last two records with the exception of like on Kirk, you know, there were moments where he was getting a little bit more personal. I think that's totally here a little more introspective. I think part of the, the problem with releasing music at this rate when you haven't been stashing it up over a long period of time is like you haven't had a chance to go out and live life. You haven't had a chance to go and do the things in between albums that enable you to have the perspective to push things forward. Like if he was rapping the same way but with different content, would we even be having this argument right now? Would, would the chatter online be negative? I, I don't really think so. I think that that, mm-hmm. that plays into it. And that, I, I, back to your that point that you just made about uh like being like a recluse, I think that's Eminem's downfall because Eminem is still a technically skilled rapper. You know, he can still sure uh, bend, bend bars with the best of them, but yeah, he doesn't have anything to talk about. I mean, I think that the most interesting thing about I mean, I think I noticed this during even when he was in Chicago for um, All Star Weekend a couple months ago. He was running it up. He know, like, he's been very smart about it. Like, he's like, this is my window. I'm the hottest dude. I'm running it up. I'm dropping. I'm doing every, like, he picked up every single bag that weekend. He performed at every (laughs) show. Like, he was everywhere. Like, he was just an animal that weekend. So I know that he's like, all right, this is my moment. I'm going to go for it. The thing that has caught me by surprise the most is that now I see Twitter turning on him. Which I thought yeah. was weird. I thought it was like it, no. it almost felt like it, but it it felt like it kind of came out of nowhere. Like I feel like other artists have gotten by with, you know, releases that didn't necessarily meet a certain standard or a certain expectation, and have still survived <laughs> that kind of like, oh well, you know, it's not a it's not a great album or it's not an album that has immediate hits on it, but like we love this artist, so we're down with it. I think fatigue is inevitable when you keep feeding people the same thing. Like, I sounded Jamaican. The same thing <laughs> over and over and over. Um, I'll give it, right, but, but I'll give it, well, Rick Ross, everyone. It's just, yeah. what's the span? How fast are you? It, that's it. Like, and I want to go back to something you were saying, Trent. Um, I, I just don't know how valid the message and the flow critique is. And I think it's it's connected with what John is saying. What? Everyone else is doing the same thing. There are very few artists who actually switch it up and talk about stuff. So I don't I know guess, that that's valid. Well, I guess in just in his case, it just doesn't sound good. You know, like in the in like the rapping ability is there. You know, it, but you know, maybe there there could be some just I guess some mechanical uh, switches up. My favorite my favorite tweet in all this. You guys mentioned Twitter was uh, someone said. It sounds like his flow starts three business days before the beat, you know. And wow. 
Like we, but when you think about it, hey, like yeah, look, he, he has his style, but maybe his style is not connecting right now. But he's at the same time, he still commands a big presence. So people I, want I, him to win. It's just they're not, the music isn't connecting. He's I, even I, doing. Sorry, go ahead, John. No, no, no. I was just gonna say. I think that there, you know, the one moment that really kind of stood out for me on the album, and we were even texting about this a little bit, was the title track. Because it was one of those things where, like, I don't know where that idea came from, whether he was listening to, like, Let the Beat Build or, or a song like that. But as I know, he sort of, he mentions that in, in the lyrics. That, to me, is like, if he was not thinking about commercial pressures and just making a weird creative album or doing things that pushed him forward in people's eyes, there would be, like, two or three more songs like that. It's crazy that that song even kind of made it out of you know, the the selection process because it sounds like nothing else in his catalog. It sounds like nothing else that's out right now. It's almost schizophrenic. It's like the the production switches up. It switches like time signature. It's a crazy song. And that was a moment where I was like, there's obviously to to you know, we when we spoke to him, it was pretty evident that he's a really uh, calculating and you know intelligent guy. He's obviously studied a lot of incredible rappers Absolutely. before him. He's obviously studied people that we talked about, like Busta Rhymes, who were you know they got by on charisma. If you listen to a Busta Rhymes album, it's uh, for the the peak of his career. It was an opening skit about the apocalypse, and then a bunch of party songs. What the fuck was he rapping about? It's not like it was like you know. There's only four years left. And you're like, what the? And he was, I mean, you know, granted. That's I, it. Buster Rhymes was never, never leading the game either. You know, yeah, he but always, he was. He was close. He wasn't huge. leading. He was, he was huge. He was but, but huge. He, he was, he was no. never a, he was never a, a starter on the All-Star team. He was never. He was, he was a never, thousand percent a starter on the All-Star team in 97. What? Definitely. He also is one of the most Absolutely. one of the most 100%. iconic artists of the MTV era, any genre. Like, forget rap. He, he was, was a visual artist. One he of my favorites, artist, but like baby is. But I, I I look at his legacy now, and you know he he used to fight for acceptance back then. Um, you know, and he was doing like Mountain Dew commercials and jumping out the box early. You know, being wacky at a time when hip hop was still gangster, but. You know, I, he he wasn't he wasn't a trip. You know, there, there was still artists going triple, quadruple, five times platinum. You know, Buster was never that. He was he always probably has a couple that are double, but he was consistent. He would go platinum every time. Every it wasn't year. like he ever had a steep drop off. Not until he went to uh, aftermath and he aftermath. Shed, once he Genesis went gold. Well, when once he changed his hair, it was different. What, what, no, it really, once the world didn't end in 2000, that was when everything took a turn for him. <laughs> but, but, no, but, my, my, but I my think point. his biggest record was the Mariah Carey song, and that was like 02 or 03. Yeah. No, he was definitely. No, that was, nine, that was 98. No, no, no. No, no, no. That's the Janet Jackson song. That's Janet Jackson. Yeah, that's 02. But, but I guess just going back to what we were saying before, like I, I feel like, you know, everything that, baby did to this point was really calculating and this feels like the first album where like maybe he was just trying to meet the speed of the marketplace maybe he was just trying to meet the demand of an audience that's out there and as you were saying barbara just like 
cash in on the fact that he's as hot as anyone right now and, and just keep that momentum going. Maybe they were going to hold the album a little longer and just thought, hey, let's capitalize on this moment now that a lot of superstars are pushing their albums back and there's maybe an opening to get a number, another number one. Like There are a lot of decisions that probably went into why this album came out now and why it came out as fast as it did. But you know, I, I think that it's that also speaks to the climate that we live in where artists are just expected to put out music every six months to a year. And that's just not sustainable. I don't think it needed to be an album. It could have just been an EP because like you are judged on your albums forever. Like people are going to look back on the album. They're going to be like, all right, it's the one with the, with the mask on it. It's going to remind people of a bad time. Like that people are going to judge you on that cover and that art, that this time forever. Like you're going to always be remembered by that. Maybe it could have been an EP. I, you know, the albums, people hold those to a higher standard. And, you know, I see it happening and I see the backlash and I'm like, this seems to be coming a little fast. Like you said, three albums in 13 months. So he's only been out for like not even two years yet. It's a lot of like to see Twitter turning on him that fast the past 24 hours or past week is kind of strange to me. In his defense, remember, guys, when we spoke to him, one of the things we talked about is the fact that he's a he's a rare uh, artist from his era who is more straightforward and raps mostly. He rarely uses melody. One of the things that he does on his album is he experiments with melody a little bit more. So I guess he's not even getting credit for that. I think even some of the production is slightly different. Rockstar or um, uh, Find My Way, it's slightly different from what he's been rapping on or like performing on lately. So that is interesting to me that they're just turning on him already. Yeah. Well, everything happens fast. And is this going to happen? Is this a new trend where people are getting turned and burnt quicker now? Yeah. Well, I mean, well, you got to look at it. We're, they're becoming stars faster. You know, the baby well, is a household name and he's only been out for 18 months, you know? Well, well real quick, though, look at his screenshots, right, on, on his Instagram. He's number one at Apple and yeah. his streams on Instagram are like racking up like fast. So right. let's see what the first week numbers look like yeah right. he sells 150,000 first week fuck twitter it doesn't right. matter we also twitter get off on may not matter people, at the end of the day totally. right it may not matter and, it, may other, not, and it probably doesn't it's a microcosm a little asterisk because the people talking shit about it they had to listen to it you know so you know they are part of that demographic uh adding to the stream so um you know quality still does matter that would take a lot of shit talkers to get an album number one. I'm just saying. <laughs> okay, you can't only put it on the shit talkers. Like, I, I also think the thing is, he's such a, like, like, you know, Bop wasn't really a hit until the video came out. And it was like, it gave the song context. And again, it was, I mean, you know, just drawing further on the Busta comparison. I know we also talked about Ludacris. Like, to me, he's become one of those artists that is the visual elements of the the music, the accompaniments to the music are so important in how he uh, interacts with his audience, how the audience interacts with him, that it's almost like a, a, a baby album is incomplete without one or two of those videos. So that's something to think about too in this time is like, is he going to be able to film a video like Bop or something like that that pushes the album forward or pushes a single forward? So right. that's also right. tough. Yeah, his yeah hands there's are already right now. You said but what? He's great at creating content, so he'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah. 
That's what it needs to do. Right the now, people on TikTok, shit. The people who are going to win, the artists that are going to win are the people that are great at social media. And he's already proven to be one of the best at social media. That's well, all they can do right now. So, okay. you know, he's proven himself. All right. Uh, let's move on to Playboy Cardi. Uh, Playboy Cardi released his first single in, what, two years? His last album was Die Lit. Do any of you guys know the correct way to pronounce this title? Is at me? Yeah. I thought it was at me. Yeah. I was like, at me. I don't know. I mean, I haven't heard anybody say it in real life. Obviously, I haven't been outside, so I don't know. <laughs> I'm with anybody about this out loud. Um, at, yeah. at, at me with an H? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, man. Uh, well, well, Andrew, I want to start with you because I saw your tweet. Uh, I mean, obviously, the song trended upon release yesterday. And um, it, it, Uzi it, helped. I think. You said what? Uzi helped. Certainly. It, it, it just it just felt like the traction happened pretty fast. And I'll be interested in seeing if this is another example of someone who is uh, making a commercial leap because he's spacing out releases rather than dropping them back to back to back to back because he's creating demand. Cardi fans keep on asking for like more music. This dude drops and disappears. But um, Andrew, you said something on Twitter. Uh, you complimented the beat. You said the f- track was fire. But you also mentioned that you think that everyone's going to bite this record. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I, first of all, I was surprised that so many people were shitting on it. Like, that's kind of what I saw. I saw a lot of people saying, oh, this is mid. Me, you know, people were saying it was mid. It wasn't that great. Why wait this long to come back and drop that? But I'm like, all right, he had to come with something different. To me, it sounded very different. The voice, the beat was crazy. It's not like your normal type of groove or type of like it was just very out there, very different. Maybe it was a hard pill for his fans to swallow. Maybe it's going to take some time. But I thought to me, it stood out and I thought it was kind of a creative. Maybe it was a creative risk. Um, the beat certainly was was different. Like it to me, I, I enjoyed that aspect of it the most. But he seems to be copied, you know, heavily for, you know, of his class of artists People lean on him. And I saw a lot of people saying he was biting other artists. So, um, you know, I don't really know what to think. But it, it struck me on a first listen. I was like, I like it. I don't know what you guys are talking about. I don't think it's mid. It, I, I thought it was interesting that he seems to use a variation of the same five words for large parts of the record. It, it sounds like a lot of ad-libs. And it, it's not the same song, but it reminded me of uh, Drake on was behavior where like the whole song feels like ad libs, completely different records, right? But a similar concept. Um, I see Trent is itching to just shit on this record. Look at him. So, oh, man, I'm, I'm really itching to pass this topic. Uh, I don't, I don't even think the song deserves a slot, but um, of course it you know, does. You know, it's, it has nothing to do with worse behavior, Drake. It didn't remind me that at all. It, it reminded me of like a video game. Yeah, um, I was, you know, yep, yep. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, you know, it was. It, it's. I will give it creative points. It's not something that I would necessarily spin, but um, at the same time, you know, hip hop does preach originality, and ain't shit out right now that sounds like at man. You know, and I I I, I don't think the uh, 
I don't think the um I don't think the song's uh fever causes the trend. I think it was that the silent cold war that he has with little Uzi Vert uh currently and you know, I think they're kind of you know, I think they might have had like a little mini feud but nothing serious. So now they're in friendly competition, you know. Or do you think they're trolling? Are they trolling uh, or is it real? I mean, I think something happened. You know, you know how these rappers and egos go. You know, I don't, I don't think it would have. I, I I don't think uh, troll. You know, I don't think when Uzi was preparing his album, I don't think uh, uh, a trolling beef with Playboy Cardi was on the marketing plan. You know, you know I think something hey. happened, but they they moved past it. But before we throw it to John, I just want to mention that Playboy Cardi is a fucking legend for his arrest. I know that sounds crazy, but you know him telling the cops, "Go ahead, take me to jail. I don't even care anymore." And then when he's being cuffed, telling the whoever arresting officer, "Yo, I'd fuck your daughter." <laughs> it's the craziest shit I've ever seen. I mean, that's right. strong, dude. <laughs> I, booked, I booked I booked Cardi for his first Chicago show like four or five years ago, and that dude was already acting like he was a star on it. I'm like, oh, this guy's out of here. Just the way he was carrying himself, how he showed up when he decided to show up, didn't acknowledge anybody. I'm like, oh, this guy's different. Like he's already playing on like, you know, I'm a total rock star vibe. Yeah, I mean, I remember I saw him at Bonnaroo, and I remember thinking I, he could literally just be shitting on the stage and jumping around and the kids would be reacting the way that they're reacting to songs that they know. Like he's just got that energy. The music was basically irrelevant. He was hard. Like he was rapping, but he wasn't really rapping. He was just on stage jumping up and down shouting. And it was like, like, it's so funny to, to just to, to get back to what you were saying about, about like what you and, and Trent Bolt were saying about this barber. Like, I think like this record to me is not one that I can picture opening up a mosh pit to, which is what's so funny about his music in general is like even some of the bigger records don't have the energy that you expect when you go to his shows and you see the way that kids react to these songs. Like I almost feel like I can't judge at med because I'm sitting in my apartment and not able to go and hear it in a live right. context. Right. So it's like my judgment on it is, is inconclusive until the summertime or like the world opens up whenever and is that it, is. Yeah, right. It's like, is this the time to drop music? Because we can't get that full experience right totally. now. Totally. Mm. I think that's why the Griselda stuff is winning because that's stuff you can listen to in your house yep. and listen yep. to it another way. You yep. don't got to be outside. You don't got to be in the club or a bar or, totally. you know, at a, at a show. You can listen yeah, to I, that like and, and, and get the vibes of it. Okay, Let, let's stay on Griselda because I wanted to bring up West Side Guns, who just came out with a project just now. Uh, well, today, uh, and uh, it's those guys are active. It's the second release in less than a month. Conway just came out with something with Alpha yeah, two weeks ago, right? And um, you you just see the momentum growing. It's niche, but it's getting cool. Like I, I see everyone really getting the kick out of like doing the like it's fun. Yeah. And right. then you know he's this guy's hanging out with Virgil. Uh, obviously, he signed the Rock Nation. I saw those guys at the brunch. Uh, if you look at the album, Tyler's on it, which is not all the way surprising, but a nice surprise. Wale's to be expected, but you see the caliber of artists that they're collaborating with is getting bigger and bigger. They had a nice moment a few weeks back uh, when um, the, the Charlie Sloth freestyle, where everyone online was just talking about these guys 
at the radio station just barring the fuck up. That was exciting. They're hanging out with Virgil. I think I said that already. But um, Coach and Pete, like the QC guys are hanging out with Griselda. <clears throat> so it feels like there's a cool factor to Griselda right now. But I do wonder, based on uh, the, 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 the nature of the music, how far it can go in 2020. So what is Griselda's ceiling? How big can this get? Andrew, you want to go first? I, you know, I don't know. I, obviously, when I saw Pray for Paris, like, trending at, like, 9 o'clock last night, I was like, oh, okay. This, these guys are, are for real. And one thing that I've, I've, I've kind of studied their model, and they're not after sales. I don't necessarily think they're after streams or sales. They're after your attention. And so far, they've done a great job of keeping that. I think, you know, if they can sell a bunch of merch and sell out shows and get people talking about them and have a movement, they don't necessarily care about streams, right? Because I think now it's an attention-based economy. And obviously, they're getting – they're not going to be getting all the attention, but they have a nice chunk of it, right? Um, I think they've done an incredible job of dropping – not giving you too much music where it's an album, you know, every month. But it's like five songs. And they have three different core members. And then now, like, Boldy James. And they're giving you, like, little six, seven-song projects every couple months. So they're, like, giving you enough to make you sick of them. They go away. They come back. to give you a taste. Then they disappear again. And I think they've done that. And they've been able to drop whenever they want because they're indie. You know what I mean? Like, this stuff's coming out via Empire or on their own label. So they can, they can drop more rapidly. They have a lot more uh, flexibility than you know, if you were on a major. Now, I know the Griselda Project came out on Shady, so that took a little longer to put out, but I think they're just kind of moving how they want to and they're taking advantage of it. And at the same time, I feel like they're they're in their late 30s. They're not like young people, so they're going towards a target audience. They know that there's dudes in there, men and women maybe, in their mid to late 30s or 40s that miss this type of music and don't necessarily connect with Playboy Cardi or any of these young artists out there. People want that. And I think that they've shown that there is a market for it. Now, how big they can grow it, I don't know. But they've definitely made a huge uh, footprint. Trent? Um, well, I mean, I'll, I'll say diplomatically, sky's the limit. You know, look at Jay-Z, you know. <laughs> diplomatically? Like, no, no. When Jay-Z came out, he was he was in the mix. But, you know, no one no one paid him to be uh, leading, the, you know, signing art, you know, signing I have a roster with 60 artists, 60 athletes, and whatever else the fuck, you know? So be the king of uh, rap music, basically. Absolutely, absolutely. And Conway has already announced his retirement. Um, Benny is starting to get more acceptance within the hip-hop community. You know, he's starting to get more notoriety. You know, he has Drake's ear. Um, and, you know, West Side Gun, you know, I think what's really notable about Pray for Paris is there is... You know, I won't say necessarily say they won't they don't care for streams, uh, Drew, because um, there is a noticeable uh, up in commercialism on this particular project. Yeah. You know, the, the Wale feature, that 327 song, you know, the interlude spacing things out. You know, it it's a really fluid listen. You know, it, it sounded like it, you know, it, it might have came out on Empire, but, you know, it sounds like a big, big budget album. Right. Um, <clears throat> so. You know, uh, sky's the limit for these guys. You know, um, I, I don't think they're going to compromise uh, to the point where, you know, they're they're doing songs with Taylor Swift or anything like that. But 
um, you know, they they will they they have acknowledged with it, with this particular project, especially they have acknowledged that they know the Billboard chart exists. Right. I don't know if you guys remember, and I'm going to stress uh, what I'm about to say by saying by no means am I comparing these two labels, especially because it became a thing on Twitter uh, a couple months ago. But I don't think anyone expected TDE to become as big of a commercial force as they became. Even when you go right. back to uh, whether it's Schoolboy or uh, J-Rock. Even I mean, J-Rock, J-Rock was the first guy. Mm-hmm. Right. And and one of the things that they did is that they adjusted to the climate without compromising the core. It's not selling out. Like you see somebody like Kendrick, you saw him do more and more melody, but in the way that sits still fits him, it right. doesn't make it feel like, damn, Kendrick just switched up on us. So maybe Griselda does the same thing. West Side Gun is, you know, uh singing on this album. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot right. more melody than, than usual. So it'll be interesting to see if they make those adjustments to drawing a bigger audience. To your point, Drew, they do know who to cater to, but maybe there's a way for them to rope some more fans in. Right. And I think, like you said, they're not going to do a song with Taylor Swift. They might, but they would bring her to their world. I think they've done a good (laughs) job of bringing Tyler to their world and Wale to their world, where it didn't seem weird. They weren't trying to compromise and make you know, uh, a, a song for the ladies. Like, they brought Wale to their world to do what, you know, they do. And, and I think a lot of artists want to do that. And I think if we ever get this Drake and Benny collab that they've been teasing, like, I feel like Drake's going to be on some Griselda shit. Like, yeah, you know, he's going to oh, want to be there. Yeah, he and can't wait to even, get that on. I think even Hove wanted to kind of play in that world. And that's part of the reason why he jumped on the Jay Electronica album like that, because he could do those type of songs that he wouldn't ever be able to do on his own album. Good point. John, what do you think? I think the, the other thing to think about, too, is like in the same, obviously it's very different, but in the same way that, you know, in the kind of like the the reign of mumble rap, the baby came along and brought a different style that worked commercially. I wonder if there's like a potential for a return to, you know, the, when I when I listen to Griselda and I think about their, their, commercial potential i always think of the um method man you're all i need like the remix that got him from being kind of the you know the standout member of wu-tang with a grimy solo album to a grammy nominated artist with essentially a pop rap he won a grammy. yeah he won but, yeah, a grammy winning artist with, with a, a song that wasn't you know it, it was still at its core a wu-tang record but it had pop appeal you know it would have to, I think that if they're going to have a huge record, it either has to be a Drake song that just blows up or it has to be something that that combines their world with, you know, a pop singer or an R&B singer, somebody that can provide melody in like a meaningful way without compromising the sound of, of what they do. Or you have to just do, you know, like, you look at J-Rock 13 years essentially after his career began or 12 years after his career began having a hit with Win and something that is, you know, it's not really like a, a bending of his style. It's just a big song paired with a big moment or I guess it was really 11 years. But it's one of those things that like was tailor-made for NBA games, tailor-made for, you know, film soundtracks. Like that's the kind of song that they could easily have because if you look at the the film landscape and the kind of commercial landscape, there's always this hunger for hip-hop and it can't always be 
the same kind of, you know, like for a while it was black skinhead in every trailer or power in every trailer. Like if they can make one of those kinds of songs, there's no reason that they could, you know, a, a Conway or a Benny couldn't have that kind of like cultural record that people might not necessarily know is them, but that becomes big regardless. So I think there are actually a lot of pathways for them to become successful without having to bend their style. Right. Well, I agree. I'm with you 100%. <clears throat> That's a good speaking of all, <laughs> speaking of all I need, I remember when RZA played that to kick Premier's ass in the battle. Yo, not gonna do that. RZA was landing punches at the right time. It Paris. was. We're not gonna do that. We're not gonna do that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Run, Run the Jewels is Ooh La La is the last song that plays this season on um, Ozark. Wow. No. So. And those sinks are no joke, man. Those sinks pay bills, and they are nice and. They take the numbers way up. Your stuff can go from not even on a, on a Shazam charts to, you know, top five in the world if you get one of those big placements like that. So I those are, those help. And, like, you know, like a, like you said, that J-Rock win, he'll, he'll be eating off that for the rest of his life. Andrew, who would you say is in the Hall of Fame for those sinks? Who, what artist do you think has the most of those, most placements? Kanye. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was gonna, I was trying to think of somebody not Kanye since we already cited yeah. him. Um, but you yeah. know, that was he has so yeah. many. I mean, they keep using power and black skinhead over and over and over. It doesn't matter because those they're just so cinematic, they're just so glorious. Right. It's perfect. Yeah. They sound like you know, he made those with that in mind. I can guarantee he made those with that with that in mind. That's status. a good question. I gotta, I gotta think about that. But you know, you're not gonna get any better than Black Skinhead or Power. Right. Um, <clears throat> all right. So we, we talked about this offline, but I want to bring the, uh, this topic to the table. Earlier this week, Complex uh, published an article uh, titled um, "How Brooklyn Drill Became the Sound of New York." Uh, shout out to Eric Skelton for writing the piece. Very, very Great. dope piece. Yeah. Um, what did you guys think? I know you all read it because we all sidebar and spoke about it, but what, what were you, you guys' uh, takeaways from the piece? Let's start with John. Sure. I mean, one, I thought, and I said this to you guys on text, I thought it was one of the best pieces of, of rap journalism I've read in a little while. And, you okay. know, I was even talking to Eric a little bit about it because it was something that he was writing well before Pop Smoke past so it took on a whole different character when he had to obviously change you know the, the narrative but the one thing that struck me that that i thought was really interesting was something that 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 funk flex said which was without the scene without the collection of rappers any one of those records individually you know welcome to the party no suburban wouldn't have been as powerful big drip. They wouldn't have been as powerful as they were all together because you could have a DJ set where you ran them back to back to back. And that was something that I actually wanted to, to ask you about, Andrew, because I, you know, I was never in Chicago at the time that Chicago drill was popping. Like I was experiencing it from the internet in New York. But I have to imagine that one of the things that was so powerful was that you had you know, 10 different records at any time if you were a DJ that you could pull out and just play. But it was crazy. Like it's like it was like kind of like deja vu reading that article because right. people, when DJs come into town and they want to do their Chicago set, they play those like same ten records that were popular in 2012 when right. 
Chief Keith and Dirk and King Louie and Little Reese and Katie got bands and all those Herb and Bibby. When all they blew, you know, when those people all blew up, that's all the DJs played and that's all you heard. And I, I've still never seen a moment like that, at least here, where there was all those artists happening at the same time. It, but it also like, you know, it, it it was sad because I've seen how it's affected the artists here with the the energy surrounding drill. Like it, there's some real energy, some real dark clouds around that. And I've seen how Dirk and Keith and these different artists can't even perform in Chicago and they haven't been able to. Chief Keith couldn't even perform via hologram in Hammond, Indiana, which is like an hour outside of Chicago because people were so scared of his shows and scared of these events. And, and that's hurt then. Like not being able to perform in your own hometown when you're like the biggest thing in the world is, is, is just detrimental to a career. So it's like, I'm seeing this happen again. And who would have thought that it would have been almost a decade after Chicago drill had its peak. It's crazy. So one, I was happy to read about Chicago drill because I feel like the the drill conversation in recent months has been about New York and London. So I was very happy to see that they gave historical context and placed, uh, traced the roots of drill in Chicago. Right. And right. to your point, it's always been a decade. Um, do you feel like Chicago's contribution to drill is getting lost to some extent? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of weird, right? Like, I, it, it's weird that people have not, that those people aren't necessary. That's two, I have two answers to that. It's kind of weird that off top, when people say where was hip hop started, we know it's New York. Everybody gave it up to New York. We know it started in the Bronx. Like, that's history. Where did trap start? Atlanta. Nobody's going to be like, nah, it, 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 trap didn't start in Atlanta. We know trap started in Atlanta. You know, chopped and screwed, Houston, G-Funk, Los Angeles. Like, so it shouldn't be a question about drill. And maybe I shouldn't be speaking on this. Maybe, you know, DJL or Young Chop or King Louie or one of those guys should would be better at answering this question because they actually made the music. But from where I stand, cool. If people want to continue to carry that on, just show love to 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 where it came from. There shouldn't be a debate where it came from. Everybody should know where it came from. But maybe that it's been so long, it's been eight to ten years, maybe that is why it's it's getting lost in the shuffle. Somebody tagged me in the complex post and they asked what I thought about it. And I said something similar, like, as long as they're giving it up and 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 bigging up the the the, the creators, you know, King Louie, Pac-Man, uh DJL, Young Chop, the people that made the music then, you know, it's whatever. Like, that's going to happen. That's just what hip-hop is. Other places take other sounds and and grow on it. But when I commented on that, uh, 22Gs, is that how you say it? 22Gs, yeah. is that how you say his name? Mm -hmm. He responded. And I had, to, I had to take a screenshot of it. And this is what he said. He said, we always show the Chicago drill artists respect for starting the wave. They don't give BK and UK credit for keeping it going. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Interesting. Well, I mean, I think there's so much. Uh, we say about five, six years in between the movements. Eight, you know, like eight. eight okay, eight. Okay, so yeah. And but also, I think the unfortunate, um, <clears throat> you know, um, side of the Chicago drill side is, you know, the movement was so street in a time when the music industry was in a was just in a complete uh, shitstorm and. 
you know, like you, you look at 20, 22 G's and, uh, you know, Pop Smoke, Smooth L. In 2007, those guys wouldn't have major label deals. You know, they'd be, they be partnering with 20 or with 10 deep or Crooks and Castles and releasing mixtapes and, and blowing up across the country on the blogs and stuff like that. But now they're on the DSPs. You know, now this shit is legit official. You know, imagine you should you should have saw, I did the WeeBay in real life when I got the a Pop Smoke email uh, and he was on Republic Records. I said, what the fuck? Republic Records? Like this, this, this street music right here? Cause you know, like, you know, they're, they're in, the, in the drill movement. Um, you know, there is a very, very dark uh, cloud around it, like Drew said, because the music, uh, you know, comes from uh, heavy gang activity. And I, I look, looked up the woos and chews and stuff like that. So, you know, for it, for this type of music to be in line with, um, uh, with, with major labels and, you know, big, big marketing dollars, you know, that, that is a reflection of what the Chicago uh, drill movement did. But unfortunately, um, the history hasn't been uh, properly documented. Yeah, and I, I, think, I think a lot of those guys didn't get that taste. Like, they didn't get, like, can you imagine if, like, the Keith stuff dropped or King the King Louis stuff dropped when... We talk about it. When, we, talk, um, we talk about this all the time. I always say, if Love Sosa came out in 2018, it would be a billion stream song Easy. on Spotify. Right. Easy. 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 At, I think part of the problem to, to your... To, to both of your points about documentation, like, when you think about where most of those early Keith videos lived, a lot of the the Chicago drill history is on Worldstar or it's on, you know, yeah. some random YouTube channel. And it wasn't Gang, really... He gains or saves. Gains, yeah. It, it wasn't documented in the way that, you know, in the early 90s when you had these different scenes, you had G-Funk, you were watching it on MTV. Even the lower level artists were being beamed into homes on MTV and were making their way onto to local radio, you know, and then national radio. I think with what was happening with Drill, you saw artists getting deals and then either not being able to get off the ground or labels not knowing what to do with them or making the kind of traditional label mistake at that time of being like, all right, cool. Like the mixtape stuff that got you here. Now do this record with like Pharrell or this record with this big producer or that big writer or whatever. And artists losing what it was that made them special in the first place or being diluted and I think to Keith's credit, like he never really lost it. Like he always kind of stayed true and continued to be an innovator, but just never got the the credit that he deserved as a commercial influence on a lot of artists because he didn't have the commercial success that he would have had if streaming was mature. And they didn't want to deal with the headache. And he was like, you know what? I've made my money. I can make X. I know what I'm going to do. I'll make X amount. I don't care. I don't want to play the industry game anymore. I just want to be... I just want to live the life that I want to live. I don't want to deal with the labels. I don't want to deal with them. And I think he's happy with that. But, you know, things would have been different had they all come out at, at this point in time via... Totally. But I also, what, what if they would have came out at the same time? <laughs> if who came out at the same time? If it was a, a Chicago movement and the, and the Brooklyn movement at the same time, like everybody in their prime going at it. That'd be... Yeah, hip hop will be a time warp. The New York stuff, while the beats sound similar and the content is similar, the rapping is not the same. No, 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 it's definitely not. Like Pop Smoke has that 50 Cent, also New York Caribbean type of influence to it that's different than like 
what was happening in Chicago. It's very New York. You know what I mean? And, and it's almost more UK sounding than it is Chicago sounding. Not, I'm not talking production. Production-wise, sounds like, all right, this came from DJL. Um, and it would be interesting to, you know, I need to ask those guys. I would like to talk to them about it. Like, what do they think about it? Are they like, yo, we're cool to just, you know, buy some beats from us or whatever? Right. You know, I, I don't know where they stand. I'm sure Chop will let us know where he stands. He has no problem talking about anything. He has no anything. problem. <laughs> He's not on his radar, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, he has other worries. Um, <laughs> let's switch gears and go down memory lane. Um, so, Andrew, you launched Shore Drive in 2007. Yeah, yeah. That is pretty early uh, in terms of blogs, uh, do you remember who were some of the other hip hop blogs that were out at the time? I would say probably three of my biggest, well, I'll say four, four of my biggest inspirations at that time were probably that I was like reading all the time was Nas and cocaine blunts. Um, I thought he had a great website. He covered a lot of different things. Um, uh, Byron Crawford, who was probably very hated now, but yo, his blog was ByronCrawford.com was the shit back then. Incredible, great writer. Wasn't scared, but like it, he he was a very entertaining writer. Love Byron he Crawford. Was. He uh, would have been scared if somebody ran up his house. Remember Eric Parker interviewed him, and we finally saw him in person. Everyone was like, "Fuck out of here! You yeah. look exactly like we think bloggers look. You're a right. fucking nerd. I'll right. run up on you, man." After that, it was over. It was over. He ethered himself. But sorry, Andrew, go ahead. And Byron's actually a cool dude, but yeah, that, that, uh, also at the time, not right. I mean, I got to give not right. That's the GOAT blog, I think, as far as changing the, it, they invented the formula of what a rap blog became. SOHH had blogs, but I think because it was a subsection of the website. Yeah. And uh, that's what I was going to for double XL's blogs and so, and SOHH's blogs. Well, I mean, that was part of a larger website, but I used to go to those sites and read those blogs every day. Like that was part of my work day was going and looking at those. Word. Um, so we're in a streaming world right now, but if we go back 10 years to April, 2010, we'd be living in the blogosphere. Um, and I remember initially, so if you go to 2007 around that time, the labels are probably looking. You probably have. You probably have a more of an adversarial relationship with labels. Uh, they're looking at these posts to some extent as piracy. I do remember, like on Smash, even getting into trouble with. Uh, I mean, shit, the feds. Yeah, because right. it was it was a similar uh, issue I, than what DJ Drama. Yeah, real. I wouldn't even say uh, to some extent. I think at that point, the labels had, you know, that was still part of an overarching attitude that labels had starting in the early 2000s, where they looked at anything that they couldn't control on the internet, not as a way to gain more audience, but as eating into their business. I mean, the, you got to remember, like, the business was in free fall. So anything that looked like it was giving away music for free, labels were like, fuck this, we can't use this. And then you saw a couple years later that shift start to happen where I think it was as the kind of like the mp3 blog era went away and it was a little bit more about covering things that were on youtube or covering things that were sort of intentionally leaked that that labels started to understand okay we can 
do these mixtapes on live mixtapes or dat piff we can put music out that isn't necessarily going to live on our commercial platforms but and that's going to bring fans to these artists but even still there was an adversarial relationship for another two or three years let's go when they started hiring everybody then that's they just right. Yeah, right. That's what everybody. I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I lived it. They just started poaching all the people. They were like, all right, you're coming here. You're coming. And that was it. Yeah. Yeah. Double XL, double XL post SK. I remember that. Um, but 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 John, you 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 kind of jumped ahead to where I was going yeah, because no, no, I mean, at a certain you. point, no, no, foresight, my friend. Like, like, but at a certain point, what uh it became part of the label's marketing plan, really. Like you needed the blogs and then you you cultivated this thing. You working at PNP, you know this, and and you also a fictional drive. Like these rappers aspired to be on some of these blogs the same way that people used to aspire to get played on the radio Dude, after a while. We well, felt like it. we were as we felt like we were as important as the labels. We weren't even sweating the label. We we're like, fuck the label. They had no juice at the time. Okay. They didn't have juice like the blog. The blogs had all the juice. We may not have had the money that labels had, but we had power. Smoking section had real power. You know what I mean? Like, is a plane. Real power. Like, we were breaking the artists, and now people be like, "Oh, you guys weren't really doing that." Blah blah blah. No, this is where everybody was going, and A and R's were calling us. Who should we sign? Who should we do this and that? Like, we had real juice at that time. Can I just tell? I I know. One one second. I never thought of it. I never thought of this. Like, but you guys are really bringing it to my attention. All my con- most of my contacts were publicists or managers. It wasn't it wasn't the labels back then at all. Like I mean, I, I had so I had it was the only the only my my only real connection to labels at the time. I was cool with Roger Scott. He was at Warner Brothers at the time, and you know he fed me all the Maybach music stuff. And I had uh, and best of both offices. They used to yeah. kind of like kind of kind of they it was like Def Jam looking the other way for the pirates. Yeah, they were early on that. They were smart. They were early. They were super super early. John, I want you to get in because you were about to say something. Well, then I was, I, was yeah, advocate. I, I was about to say just to dovetail off of off of what Andrew was saying. I have a funny story about kind of like how I got my first major label gig and the way that that people in that system looked at people that came out of like the blogosphere because they. Barbara, you're like, you're right. Like they looked at us like I, A, I was 24 years old. I had like, I was the only person who knew what the internet was. And they thought this kid must have some magic crystal ball because I literally, <laughs> I met LA Reed. I had an hour long interview with him. This is like end of 2012. I actually, I remember it That's was crazy. like, it was like the week that, that uh, finally Rich came out <laughs> and I was listening to that on the, on the plane. But I I get flown out to LA because my a guy that I'd interned for had this gig at Epic. He left Epic. He was like, "Yo, if you really want to try this A and R thing out, I'm gonna recommend you for my job. I'm gonna warn you, it's a little bit crazy right now because the whole fucking label system is a mess. But you know, maybe you'll you'll figure out whether you actually want to do this or not." And I had a a 45 minute interview with LA Reid, and in the middle of it, there was like an audition that happened. It was like to- it, the, the whole fucking thing made no sense. It was very thought, like a label, like oh, album. it was it was I it was literally I thought I was in Get Him to the Greek. I was like, this is this is my moment. Oh my god! And we like we had to go around the room and rate how we felt like the artist's performance was when he left the room, and then like everybody goes out of the room, and it's just me and LA and like one of the A and Rs and this other executive, and LA Reid goes, come come here, come around my desk. 
and he shows me a video on his computer and he's like, what can you tell me about this? And it's just like one of the artist's videos. And he's like, he's like, I don't know what to think of this. I don't know what to think of these views. I I looked at this guy's YouTube and I was like, well, all his covers have like a million plays and all of his originals have like 20,000 plays. So like, I don't know, probably his covers are popular because the songs are popular. And he was like, that's it. The moment that I got the job, he goes, well, tell me something. You're like, you're, you're a hip hop fan. Why is Kendrick Lamar more important than 2 Chainz? And like, this is 2012. So, you know, 2 Chainz is on his run of right, right. first radio singles and Kendrick is just coming out. And I was like, well, you know, 2 Chainz is, is dominating radio, but Kendrick is building a culture. Literally after that answer, he was like, look, I don't handle the money. Somebody else ha- does that. But if you want the job, you're hired. <laughs> 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 it was, I, like, I literally could have just written my, my name on a napkin. They would have been like, yo, you're in. And it was, but it was what you're talking about where there was like this magic around the blogs. They felt yeah. like people that understood the internet and that were able to tell these stories and put, cause really what my job was, I was, I was hired to be an A&R, but what they wanted was someone who could put narrative to the numbers that they were seeing, who could look at someone and say, Oh, like this artist is actually me. And that's still what a lot of A&R research is today. And I, you know, I had kind of a background in more traditional, I, I had worked in studios before that, but my kind of background was blended between being in the blogs and knowing what those numbers meant because you could you know you could always tell when an artist was juicing their stats versus yeah. someone who was organically right. growing right. but yeah it was just it was so funny to step into that world and see still what a divide there was between what we knew was going on on the internet and the way that labels looked at it yeah it must have been like when napster happened and instead of embracing mp3s the labels were like Let's just make CDs that you can't copy. Yeah. And I was like, yo, what the fuck? That's the worst idea. What do we do? What are we talking about? Embrace the MP3. Go run that direction. And that was always a thing like labels would be like, hey, I need you to take this down. Or they would send a C and D. It's like, why? This is free promotion. Exactly. And the, and the artist is giving us, giving us props. The artist is like, yeah, I like to see that shit. As an artist manager now. Dude, leak everything. I don't care. Post everything. The more visibility, totally. the better. We're fighting to cut through all the clutter. Like, what? Like, don't send anybody a, a, a DMCA notice. No, let that shit go. I don't care. Yo, like, to, to, to go back to the earlier conversation about Cardi, I think one of the reasons that he's gotten bigger and bigger is because of the leaks. I think he's become legendary because of songs that might never come out commercially and his fans just gobble those up like they're rare Pokemon. Like that's the sort of like the game with him is just collecting all this music that you have no idea. It's kind of like in some ways it's reminiscent of Lil B where you're just like, I got to get all the Cardi leaks. I got to get all these random songs. And like some of them I, I've certainly never heard because I mostly just listen to stuff that's on Spotify and, and Apple and on, on streaming services. But like, I think that's part of the mystique. And do you think Drake is doing heat checks, leaking his own stuff? You think his team is doing this? Uh, of course. 100%. That's part of, that's part of the campaign. All right. I want to play devil's advocate. Andrew, you said that, you know, referring to the blogs and the bloggers, we were the ones breaking the artists. Um, I would argue that at the time, the perceived influence 
wasn't as great. Probably. You're probably right. As the actual influence, because at the time you still needed other leverage. You still needed radio. Um, I think the artists that existed primarily on the internet never got to fully blossom. I always like to mention Asher Ross as an example. I Love College was a big hit. And I remember I was working at Double XL at the time and uh, Asleep in the Bread Isle and Deeper Than Rap came out the same day. And we used to do weekly album sales pro uh, projections. And it was basically Asher Roth versus Rick Ross that week. And I want to say at least half the staff thought Asher Roth was going to be toe-to-toe -to -toe with Rick Ross. Now, he fell way short, I think, because the internet wasn't the internet yet. You well, fast forward. Didn't he have like the the comment and uh, I'm not going to say it, but he like tried to make the uh, the joke about the nappy. Remember, he tried to make a joke. Don on Imus. Don Imus. Imus joke. Don he tried Imus. to make an Imus joke because he was in Rutgers or something like that. And he got a big backlash right before that came out. I forgot about that. I don't know. Well, but maybe it didn't matter. Maybe it didn't matter. Uh, see, I, I, I think I, I think that was I think that experience that you just described, Carl, I think that was just the double XL staff being too invested in their particular product. I mean, Rick Ross was a big star at the time. He was going at 50 Cent. He had songs on the radio. He Yo, you know, and deeper was, than rap was, had like yeah. but, but, but wait, wait, but what product money. what product are you talking about? Because I'm talking about, about I'm, like, I'm talking the, the, the artist that you guys are champion. You know, Asher Roth was a double XL freshman. You know, he you guys were projecting him to be next, but to you know, to think that he was on the same level as an established artist who had what, years what, going what, 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 we're journalists, right? And one of the rules of being a journalist is your objective. And at the time, there was a little bit of being an elitist as a journalist as well, like when you, you thought about the blogs. I don't think that applies. I think that, you know, myself, Rob, everybody that was on staff truly believed that Asher was poised to be, become a star. But if you fast forward a couple of years, um, I think that people didn't expect Kendrick and J. Cole to sell that much because they primarily existed on the internet. But at that time, Around, around those releases, the internet was more fully formed, so they both sold over 200,000 copies first week. Right. Like, Kendrick is huge now. I don't want to hear anybody tell me they knew Good Kid Mad City was going to sell over 200,000 because I'm not going to believe it. I was rooting for him. I wanted the album to sell because he represented the type of artist that I wanted to be uh, commercially successful. But at the time, it was like, man, yo, I really hope people get this. No, see, see, my perspective is completely flipped <laughs> of what of what you're saying. You know, like we were, you know, we, we no, but I'm saying like, okay, like, okay, here's here's what I'll give you this: the blogs created another platform, but it was it was beneath the existing platforms, so it was just another a level of so beneath what radio, yeah, beneath uh -huh, radio, beneath magazine, magazine, TV networks, yeah, exactly, exactly. But at the same time, you know, artists like Kendrick. And even Cole, to an extent, you know, we saw that, you know, these were the next Jay-Z and Nas, uh, not necessarily the next Jay-Z and Nas, but they were going to fill those slots. You know, they were going to be the uh, the premier MCs that were that would be able to sell records without selling out. You know, there's only there's only a few. It's not a movement that can do that. There's only a few select few artists. And, you know, we kind of pegged them to be that. So it wasn't surprising to see them. It's like it wasn't surprising to see. 
established Rick Ross. You know, we talked at Smoking Session. We talked about the Rick no, Ross. No, 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 no. no one knew Cole was gonna sell two hundred thousand. No one. Jay Z. Doesn't matter. Yeah, no one they, thought they, that they at the time. How, yeah, yeah, I don't think. I think a lot of people were like, because the workout people weren't really feeling that song. So I, you know, I feel like it was so popular. Swimming pools. Swimming pools took off post release. Because the first week sales and the buzz about the album being an instant classic was PR, it was marketing. So that became a hit after the fact. TDE will tell you they didn't expect it. No one expected it. They knew it, he was amazing. Those sales, no way. Okay, like, uh, you might not out. expect it, but it's like, not I'll surprising. Well, it's not surprising in hindsight, but you got to remember that was the era too of like, you know, Wiz Khalifa making uh, his name off of mixtapes, getting a huge, you know, buzz behind the scenes after years of being dropped and then, you know, getting back kind of into a, a, a popular conversation by making himself hot and then coming with Black and Yellow, which is still an incredible song, but was so different from anything anyone had heard from him. And that set the tone of like what happened to a lot of artists that got signed specifically to Atlantic around that time, but a lot of rappers that got signed in general, where you would have the you would have the mixtape version of that artist, and then you would have the major label version of that artist, where they had one record that was produced by a huge producer that you knew, and then a couple records that were produced by maybe some like up-and-comers, and then some records that were produced by their team. But there was total cognitive dissonance with what was happening on those albums. I mean, even when you listen to the first Cole album in comparison to Kendrick's first record, it's like night and day in terms of right. what would happen later in Cole's career. And I think that, I don't know, I, I just, I think that like to your point, Carl, that like Kendrick record was really a message. It was the beginning of the, this is how you set yourself apart as an elite artist. Because if you, if you look at it, Drake around that time was also starting to, with Take Care, had also started to shift from his debut album which was a pretty big grab bag of different sounds and producers and ideas is something that was much more cohesive. And that's how the rest of his career is kind of gone. You know, I, I just think that that, like, you, you're crazy if you think that people were predicting those numbers. Yeah, for, I mean, that was, a, I mean, that was a growing change stage for sure. That was a weird time in the industry. Super weird. I don't, see, I don't know about the numbers prediction per se, but I do know that Kendrick was aligned with Dr. Dre. He was on Interscope, you know, so we did expect, you know, uh, an increase from Section 80, uh, an increase from of course. Uh, rappers, you know, like, but yeah, like, and so when I say increase, we expected success, you know, we were already um, of the mind state that hip hop was better than all these other genres before the numbers proved it to be true. I, you know? I, I specifically highlighted numbers. Specifically. You keep, keep that argument yeah. going if you want. That's literally no, the conversation. I, 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 I'm just saying, like, no one, I don't know what projections, but I, I know people, we projected just success and the success happened. Of course. You know? I think we all did. They're insanely talented, the most talented rappers of their generation. So you would expect success, but you didn't expect that out the gate. I think you could say that about Rocky, though. Like, we all expected success from Rocky. And I think in some ways, a lot of people thought he was going to be bigger than any of those guys. Yep. I mean, when you look at all the of that. The hype was certainly bigger at the time. Oh, my so God. The hype he, was deafening. And he and he he's been, himself. Well, but I think, well, that's not totally fair. Because if you look at the things that happened around him, I mean, he lost, like, one of the great creative directors and managers of that generation. Like, 
obviously there's that's not to say that a lot of the things that were happening weren't rocky but like when you lose a a, a creative force like that in what he had in yams like that's pretty undeniable that 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 you know everything started to shift around them but i would say that to say if you listen to his major label debut versus the mixtape that got him to the point that he was blazing hot it's like two different artists there are pieces of the things that were making him hot at the time but that album sounds like it was partially his vision and partially Yams's vision and partially major label a and r into having the skrillex features on it and having you know these like jim johnson beats where there used to be clams casino beats like there's not not to say that those records weren't good but they were just a total shift from what got him hot on tumblr Right, and I don't know why labels push to do that, and they still do that. It's I think the artists have more control now, but they still push that. It's like that's why I think Griselda has been able to win because they can keep their sound intact and keep making the music they want to make. Once you start getting in the major label system, you have to make changes. Period. It just that's just what comes with it, and you know, once you're in the big leagues, things change a lot. But um, yeah, that that was a super interesting time because. A lot of those albums did not hold up from that from that era. Of course, Good Kid, Mad City did, but a lot of those other ones, when you listen to them now, they sound very dated. Yeah, not the real albums. Well, okay, the, the street albums, the mixtapes, the LPs, the you know that that those still hold up, but not the commercial albums. Right. I I I I, I didn't plan on bringing this up, but Andrew, you just triggered me because someone um, shout out to Anthony Osei. He texted me that question. Earlier this week, I think because he saw the Good Kid, Mad City plaque <laughs> in the back, and he texted me. He was like, "Carl, is Good Kid, Mad City the last undeniable hip hop classic?" And my answer was, "I don't think so. I think Damn is either a classic now or will become one. But even if that's the case, we're short on classics in the last eight years." If the answer is yes, it means we only have one undeniable one and you can make cases for other albums. I think people make a case for Take Care. Maybe nothing was the same. YG, My Crazy Life. My Crazy Life, that's what I, I was, was going to say. Yeah. Uh, uh, wait, wait, crazy wait, uh, nah. Uh, YG, YG was nowhere near the rapper he is right now. Like, if you listen to that, he like the beats were incredible. It's one of the best produced albums of all time. I'll say that. But, you know, YG wasn't, you know, he was still, like, fresh off the block. Um, that doesn't mean it's not a classic. Right. No, some, uh, some no, no, no the, 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 some of the rhymes are, are, you know, some of the rhymes are glaring. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not classic material. You know, when was the last time y'all bumped left, right? I don't think it applies to us because we have to listen to a million fucking things for our jobs. So I think the... When's the last time you've listened to XYZ question is more of a civilian question. I'm a civilian well, too, the, by the way. I'm just saying well, like Well the answer was I think the answer is probably to Ben for Butterfly. That's probably like the last one yeah. that got got tossed around yeah, as as classic category. I don't think Dem uh lived up to that measure. You There's know, a legitimate Dam versus good kid conversation bubbling. I've heard a lot of people say that they think Dam is better. It's it's okay. It's Jesus after that is Jesus a classic? Hell no. Nah, depends on nah. who you ask on this podcast. Nah, nah. nah. it really nah. depends on who you ask. 
forget. It's that. acid rap. I'm thinking of Chicago shit. Is acid yeah. rap a classic? I think so, but it's a mixtape. Yeah, classic mixtape. I mean, if you're if you're including mixtapes, then it changes. I, there, yeah, it changes the conversation because you could probably right. put Fifty Six Nights in there. You could put Acid Rap in there. I mean, those are things that like to this day. You don't count those. Oh, yeah. Wait, wait, hey, I got one. DS Two. I mean, you know, you're a man after my own heart with that, but I feel like you get a lot of pushback on that. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm not. I'm not having it. Why not? I mean, why? Like, like that. <laughs> it was. It was a. It was a moment, you know. Like good, good moments don't mean that it automatically has its classic, you know. Like enough to maintain that. Yeah, but 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 future has buried that legacy with probably a thousand more songs. You know that. You know what's what's the difference between Dirty Sprite Two and the last tape he dropped at this point? Man, do we not get classics anymore? Like are, no. that's what I'm. You know, I, I've been asking that question. Like. You, we're to, we're gonna talk about nine, albums that came out in '95. You look at the albums that came out in '95, and you're like, "Oh my god, I cannot believe that we got like Cuban Links, The Infamous, Dog Food, Me Against the World, whatever." There's so many great rap albums that came out that year. Will people look at 2019 and say that? Mm. Twenty years, 25 years later, I, 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 I don't know. It hasn't been 25 years, but we're trying to come up with stuff for the past eight years, and we're kind of struggling. I will we'll say about- this. I will say this, though. I think that the times have changed so much that there isn't really the incentive around making albums in the same way that there was in those eras. Like, I think if we asked, like, about classic songs right now, there are songs that are obviously bullshit that'll fade away, that were popular, that we're going to forget about. But there are just as many songs that are going to last out of this era that are going to be party classics, that are going to be played on radio in repeat rotation. I just think that, like, I was actually talking about this with a buddy of mine, another manager this week, how I think that there's this really interesting class of rappers that are springing up in the kind of wake of what Earl Sweatshirt's been doing, like Mavi and Mike, Madani, like this kind of crew of of new rappers. But a lot of them, Pink Sifu's another one, they're really talented. A lot of dope people. A a lot of dope people, but a lot of them don't seem interested, as interested in the craft of making an album in the same way that they might have if they were 20 years prior. They're influenced by a lot of those rappers, but their their interest is more in kind of like phrasing and individual songs than it is in crafting these kind of complete bodies of work. And maybe that's just the nature of the time, right? Like shorter songs, shorter attention spans, shorter projects in general. But I just think we've lost some of that, like that that project focus because you still see it in R and B. In R and B, in the last few years, there are probably more albums that are arguable classics or that are all. Yep like complete bodies of work than there are in, in rap and, and, and kind of hip hop at large. So I don't think that it's necessarily that artists aren't capable. It's that there isn't as much of a reward for making that kind of album. And R&B or, 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 or pressure of dropping four projects a year. R&B, they don't put that pressure on you. Definitely. Yeah. And I think when uh, music became digital too, you know, like each song, you know, becomes a potential uh, you know, first it was a download, now it's a stream, you know, so it, it it's calculated, you know, and you see a lot of bloated albums these days, a lot of 23 track albums these days, trying to jack up the stream numbers. So, you know, um, yeah, there's just put as many songs as you can. Uh, congruent albums are also out the window, um, not for every artist, but, you know, for um, most popular artists. So. That's there. It's there. <clears throat> All right. So my computer's dying. So let's go through these. 
uh, last couple of fun topics and wrap it up. Before I uh, bring those up, I just want to say and be clear, Dirty Sprite 2 being the same thing as Future's last, last album is insane. And we're going to talk about it when we hit Dirty Sprite 2's 50th anniversary later this year. So it, It's what anniversary? The fifth? Yeah. I can't believe that's been five. Crazy. Yeah, 2015. All right. So there's been a lot, there's a lot of milestones this year uh, in 2020. And uh, one of the albums that celebrated 20 year, its 20th anniversary early this year was uh, Ghostface Killer's Supreme Clientele. So I was going back and forth on how to approach this and how can we discuss it. I didn't want it to be a review of, you know, where were you when this dropped or, like, you know, how is it aged, whatever. So I started out by maybe making this Ghostface centric. And then when I started thinking about the battle, um, it made me think of something that I've been wanting to debate on the show. And it's the perfect time to do it because RZA is also a battle DJ premiere. So Supreme Clientele is definitely Ghostface's uh, greatest album, but where does it rank amongst the Wu catalog? Solo or group? Are we counting them all? Solo. So what is the best solo album by a Wu-Tang member? And I know John is ready, so we'll start with him. Uh, <laughs> you know, I definitely, uh, maybe I, I, this is where I continue to get what, what Carl, you've called my hipster adjacent uh, cred from, but it's always been Liquid Swords for me. That's, that's my, uh, my final answer. <laughs> submit that ballot you can write yeah. you can write that in fucking concrete wait, wait, wait. john i don't think it's a hipster adjacent uh opinion because there was a point in time where i kept flip-flopping between cuban link and liquid swords i love both albums i think cuban link has been the default answer for so long but right. at, 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 after a while you have to kind of sit back and, and reevaluate and see how albums you know. age Why? and see what? Like, like no, it's the default re answer for a reason because it is the answer. You know, that's I, what, I'm not that's convinced. That's why we're talking about it. I'm not mm -hmm. convinced, and I was happy that John said it was Liquid Swords. But before this dude jumps in and makes it like fucking Cuban link, huh? I respect the hell out of the Liquid Swords call. Like, it, it's, it, a, it, it's a great it's, album. It's it's not blasphemous. It's not. It's a legitimate. Huh. As a card-carrying Wu stand, I am not mad at that at all. What's your number one, Drew? Supreme Clientel is number one for me. Nice. That, that's that's also my number not two. blasphemous. It's not blasphemous at all. It goes, for me, it goes Supreme Clientel, Cuban Links, Iron Man, Ooh. and Liquid You're a ghost guy. You're a ghost guy. I'm a ghost guy. Those are basically three ghost albums in a row. <laughs> yeah. Iron Man kind of gets forgotten about a lot of times as a, as a, as a Iron Man is incredible. There's a lot of really strong and, and Ghost, he's not as wacky and like crazy as he is on Supreme Clientele, but he's talking some shit on Iron Man. So you have Cuban Links. Say it again. Cuban Links had two for me. I would Purple say. Tape. Why? You asking TC? Yeah, Trent, why? I mean, it's just. Um, I think one time the source. Um, this is this is this is how I knew I was like really attracted to journalism. The source called it crack root catchy. 
you know, it was, um, it, it was, it was a straight hood album. You know, it, it is, um, the projects personified on wax, but at the same time, it's just so fun to listen to, you know, like every turn, like, you know, like we, RZA, you know, to, to have glaciers of ice and, uh, criminology on the same album, you know, it, it, they sound like two totally different, uh, eras, you know, I mean, and it's just, and, and Raekwon's flow, I think Raekwon has one of the best flows of all time. He doesn't get a lot of credit for that. You know, the whole album is just butter. Uh, Ice Cream is over 20, was it 25 years and, you know, still sounds fresh to this day. You know, it's just an amazing product. And that's that's not taking anything away from Liquid Swords or uh, Iron Man, but, you know, uh, only built for Cuban Link. You know, it, it's 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 a hip-hop staple at this point. And it feels like it was mixed different. Like, for some reason, that album hits harder than some of the other Woo, Woo albums. Like mixed, yeah. It's better than 36 Chambers. I, I, I love Cuban Link, but what kind of lazy-ass take was that? You give it... You're doing it the service to the album. Um, I mean, but, like, no, I mean, like, it I'm was trying, butter. I, I, no, 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 no. Raekwon's flow is butter. Like every song, he 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 just it's liquid. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's how he that's how he flows. That, that's how I've always described Raekwon's flow. It's just that was a '95 word. If there is mm-hmm. butter, mm-hmm. I haven't heard anybody say butter in a long time. But I let's bring it back. But that's what it is. It's, it's it's butter. It's um it's wallaby shoes. That shit's fat with a ph, baby. That shit's mm-hmm. mad fat. Facts. Jeans, shorts, and Tim's. <laughs> okay, so, so, Carl, you got to answer. I, I, yeah, so, so I, I was thinking, right? And I hate cop outs. This is really hard because I really love Supreme Clientele. I really love the Purple Tape, and I really love Liquid Swords. I think what edges it out for me is the context. Uh, Cuban Link comes out. It's the third Wu Tang album to come out. The, the third solo Wu Tang album to come out. And they're operating at, at a peak powers. They're popular as shit. They're influential. Supreme Clientele is the album that saved Wu-Tang. Period. Unquote. Remember yes. that narrative? They were coming off a, 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 a string of albums that weren't as commercially successful. So I remember, you know, your source aficionado, it, that was the cover story. Yo, Yo that cover was crazy because crazy. everybody... They had the You Got album, the Deck album, Capadonna. Like they were cool, but it was Bobby. Even the Bobby Digital album, they were cool, but like they weren't at the top anymore. They well, had been also, square. And then when Supreme Clientele came, like Wu was back. Hundred percent, it was. But there's also they were. They were. there's also like a little asterisk in that story too, because you know during that uh, cover shoot, you know, and, and like if this never happened, who knows what where Wu Tang would be? But you know, uh, Riz's mom, you know. Uh, eventually went on to pass away, and you know he said it took it took him out of his uh his zone at the time. You know he didn't even really want to uh, be at that that cover shoot. So um, you know I even though I do credit Supreme Clientele with bringing the Wu back, I don't think there was a lot lot more of those moments to follow either. But why is that asterisk? W is a great album that. I think that's a really solid album that people don't really show a lot of love to or talk about now. Like that was basically a Wu Tang mixtape, like Ghostface. It was like basically like Ghostface featuring Wu Tang. It's like a Wu Tang mixtape. Like ran that album. Word. Well, Andrew, thanks for dropping in, man. Like we we gotta do this again in person when uh, we're cleared to go outside. 
Yeah, no. And I hope to get out, man. I, you know, I'm a big fan of the show, and I appreciate I know you guys have shouted me out on the Russ episode, and I appreciate that. That meant a lot. And, like, you know, it's an honor to be sitting here just just talking shop with you guys. Like, it's a lot of fun, man. And and uh, you guys all have very dope and unique insights, so it's a great honor and a pleasure to be a part of this, man. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. We have to do this again when we're clear to go outside. It was as much fun as I thought it was going to be. Uh, for everyone out there, if this is your first time listening, check us out. We're on our platforms. Follow us on social media at Rat Pack. And we'll speak to you guys soon. Till then, this is Carl Cherry. Sean Corp. John Tanner. And uh, special guest, Andrew Barber, this week. Thank you for having me, fellas. It's a great honor and pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Peace. Peace.